Welcome, welcome. I'm your host, Stefano, and this is When Leaders Talk, a podcast about leadership and most importantly, about leaders. Episode 7, our very special guest is Rosemary Garcia. She is the Vice President for Economic Growth and Governance in DT Global. DT Global is an organization that works in economic and trade development, uh, especially in the international environment. So Rosemary, in her career, in her almost 30 years of career, she had had many interesting positions, both in the academic world and in the uh, economic financial world until the position that she actually has. She has worked not only in the offices, she has worked in the, in the, in the field um, in Ecuador, for example. So she's used to travel a lot and to work a lot. And actually, as she said uh, during the interview, being a workaholic probably is the most uh, important weakness that she has. The conversation with Rosemary touches upon many very important topics, one of which is the role of women in leadership position and how they can balance life, family, and work and all the challenges she has gone through. For example, the beginning, she has uh, a degree in uh, geology that was basically one of those field, mainly masculine, if you want, so mostly men, and she was one of the few women working there. And this was one of the biggest challenges that she faced. Um, but as I said, you know, she has a great experience and she has approached leadership in a very different way, especially growing up. Uh, she said that now she's more gentle. That's how she describes herself after many years of uh, leadership position. So Rosemary is a very humble person. And actually, I know she's a, not just a hard worker, but she's a great leader. A lot of people love to, um, working with her and uh, having to do with her. She's so focused on empowering other people that everyone benefits from working with her. And actually, this is something that uh, is so clear for her. It's so clear that she's, when during the interviews for recruiting people, she uh, brings this to the plate. So I don't want to, of course, spoil the rest of the interview. I think it's a great interview for um, all of you and for so many reasons. So I'll leave you to that. But before, of course, let me uh, remind you about subscribing to this podcast if you want. And you can also follow me on all the social media from TikTok, LinkedIn, um, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And also more information you can find on www.masteryourc.com. Well, I'll leave you to the interview and I'm sure you will enjoy it. So welcome, welcome to Rosemary Garcia, Vice President for Economic Growth and Government at Didi Global. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much, Stefano. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I look forward to the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a conversation on leadership. So we're going to see, we're actually going to explore your wide experience on our leadership because as i mentioned in the introduction you've been leading not just 
organization like the Global or part of the organization like DD Global Creative and others, but also volunteering associations and so many other things. So, it, and I saw that actually you work also in the Naval Academy. It's very good. You know, I've been in the Navy for a bunch of years, so it's still it's a, it's a connection. Yeah. Okay. So the first question I want to ask you is my standard first question. It is. What is your definition, if you have any, of leadership? I would say it's, it's um, having a vision of what is coming next and being able to step into the unknown and yet at the same time to bring others with you. Uh, but it's more complicated than that. It also includes the fostering of the personnel or the people that you're working with in order for them to reach their maximum potential. So it's very intentional in the sense that you're bringing people with you um, in whatever you're trying to achieve. Okay, so you already said a lot of things, you know, you said vision, you know, facing the unknown, bringing others with you and actually fostering them. Okay, so let's start with, uh, with the first part. What is your vision right now? Well, I, I think it depends on your mission in life, right? I think everybody has kind of a sense of what they want to accomplish in life. And I think that those of us who work in international development um, have had this, this um, kind of it, a greater purpose of making the world a better place than it currently is and helping those people and those countries or those groups uh, to be better than they currently are. So, so that's kind of the vision, the, the initial vision. Um, but it also comes with, um, with being able to see the situation and what the barriers are and how to overcome the barriers in the objectives. So. Okay. And I share your point of view. You know, I've been in Boy Scouts for the first part of my life for almost a decade. And the founders of, Boy Scout, of the Boy Scout movement was this general, Baden Powell, who actually said, you have to try to leave the world a better place than you found it. And this is really a, a nice sentence. It doesn't matter how big is the impact that you can have or smaller, it still, you have to try. You have to try to, uh, to leave your small mark, if you want, in the world or in the organization you're working for. And of course, when, you, when we look at your work, you're, because basically you work in, with people who have some problems, and you help these people finding a solution to their problems, right? So how do you approach your work? What is the, the, the motivation that you have when, when, you, when every day you, you go to work? And you travel a lot too, so you go on the field a lot. Yeah, it's always with the intention of doing more than what is expected. And, and it's always with the, the expectation maybe that you deliver as a contractor, as a consulting firm, we deliver um, international development implementation. So, you know, you're expected to deliver at this stage, but then it's about pushing yourself to deliver at a higher level. And in what you need to do in order to be able to do that. Because the resources for international development are very limited um, and the problems are so huge that you get the smallness of the resources and you try to do the very best you can. 
Well, you have a very clear mission, and, and I see what you see, and, and the, the way you smile, and, and you love this job. But how do you transmit the motivation, your vision, your mission to the people that are working with you? Oh, it's about connecting with the people. It's about not only connecting with my staff and the people that I work with, but really connecting with the people that you're working with in terms of being able to hand, hold hands kind of in, in this mission of changing certain things. And so that way they come with you in the process. And it's really about con human connection, right? Hmm. And, and it's at a it's not an into at an intellectual level, right? It's a, a it's at a heart level in regards to what drives you to accomplish more. It's basically it's deeper than than the logic or the processes or what you do. It's about the intention of doing the best you can. Okay, I understand that, and it's uh, so. But there is another another layer. I want to add to it. So when you talk about human connection, uh, normally now there is this, uh, there is a lot of talking about emotional intelligence, you know, and empathy. How do you build your emotional intelligence? How do you actually, let me ask you a different question. How do you rate yourself, you know, on the emotional intelligence? Uh, very high. Uh, <laughs> um, I think I, I have a very good sense of being able to read people um, and being able to um, feel the energy of the room, get a sense of um, be empathic to the causes that are driving the problems in the countries where we work. So I think that, yeah, I think that in order to be a leader, you have to have a very high emotional intelligence level, um, not only on the empathy part, right, of the people that you're working with and the situations that they face themselves in, but also in be, being able to understand the constraints. And, and the constraints are sometimes um, not structural. They're, they're, sometimes it's people obstructing the processes to make things better. Uh, so you have to understand, we call it political economy analysis, right? We basically need to understand the politics, the underlying politics, and what is driving the, the stuckness of the development process. Okay, um, basically what you say is that, you know, that there, is a, that there are, of course, um, you call it constraints, but it's, it's more like the human behavior. At the end, politics is just human interacting. Uh, more like a strategic level, probably, but still interacting and trying to accomplish something. Uh, hopefully for the best. <laughs> we really yeah, hope it's always for the best. <laughs> well, I, the other thing that you mentioned when you described the uh, leadership was the challenge. I mean, you, as we say, you had experience, experiences on, on very difficult situations. Which is the biggest challenge you have faced and how was the outcome? Well, there's been a lot of challenges in my life, right? Um, first, I majored in geology uh, in the 80s, right? And I was one of the very few females in the geology department where I studied. Uh, so being in a male-dominated world um, was a challenge, right? And, and I think that 
uh, I think it has taught me a lot uh, in terms of how to overcome obstacles and how to not let perceptions um, constrain you. Um, so it's the same thing with, uh, I am a Bolivian American, right? So I am a Hispanic American in, in, in the United States where there are racial constraints, you know, and there are sentiments of what we can accomplish and what we can't accomplish and, and, and there are biases, right? Um, so, so I've also faced those kind of constraints. And I think that um, overcoming them is, I hate to say this, but it's mental, right? It's like, um, you don't allow the external forces to constrain you. You kind of decide what your goal is and then you forge ahead. And um, so, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> well, so there were a lot of changes. There were a lot of barriers you had to break, right? As you as you mentioned, you were uh, a woman in a world of men, and you were uh, Latin with Latin origin. So in in, in the United States, and and, uh, and despite diversity, is actually one of the main characteristics of the United States. Still, we know that there are there are some resistance to it, if if you want to put it in a, in, a, in a in a way. Well, let, let's linger a little bit on actually on the role of woman in leadership. How would you assess the situation now? You know, the, the women women have fought a lot in the, for gaining prominent positions, and we have seen leaders. You know, we've seen many leaders actually succeeding. And yourself, for example, I mean, you're the vice president of a big organization, but we know that there are uh, even uh, prime minister, the chancellor of uh, Germany, the Merkel has been in power for 16 years, and New Zealand, she recently resigned, and other countries. They know, we know that they are actually uh, really successful. How would you rate right now the, the position of women in, in leadership positions, and how important is for you to keep fighting uh, for, I don't know, for success, for being, for having more successful women. Yeah, so I think things are improving um, in some areas of the world a lot faster than in other areas of the world. Um, it's still a challenge, the gender norms and the gender traditions in some cultures are still maintained. And it's very difficult for women to step out of their role and what is expected from them, from the culture, to be able to take leadership positions. I think in the West, in, in the Northern countries, we've made a lot of advances, not without its prices, right? Because balancing career and family is just very, very difficult. And I think that those of us who have tried to do it have felt frustrated um, because we can't fully dive into one and fully dive on the, on the other role of being a parent and a wife, et cetera, et cetera. And, and trying to balance the two is, is a huge challenge. Um, and, and yet at the same time, I think that um, I don't think we're ever gonna accomplish gender parity if women don't step into male dominated roles. Um, that is a requirement for us to become viewed as equal. 
So I think that we still have this challenge of also taking women in more traditional cultures to be able to also think the same way, to be able to think that doors will open and that they need to move forward in order to be able to live their dreams, right? Because that's what it's about. It's about right. how they or how they or the culture constrains them from the dreams that they might have uh, for being able to accomplish things that they want to accomplish. Um, you know, I'm originally from Bolivia. So Bolivia, we're a mining country, right? We, I was brought up in the mining sector. So I studied geology thinking that I was going to go back to Bolivia and I was going to be this great geologist that was going to you know, discover new ores and things like that. You know, obviously that didn't happen. But returning to Bolivia and seeing the constraints that I had as a female geologist, they were just too overwhelming. Then, So I took a different path than the one that I had initially intended because of the cultural constraints that I faced. But many women don't have those choices. And I think that we need to open those choices and open those opportunities so that way women can accomplish their own dreams uh, because everybody has dreams for themselves. You touch upon another interesting topic that is actually the balancing of life, especially for a woman. And, and uh, the question I have is, do you think that actually the woman is is different from the, from this point of view or with respect to a man is more like family oriented and therefore struggles more for uh, in finding this balance or is something that is evolving and trying to find a kind of equal burden, if we want to call it like this, on the, on the family side. And so they both, the both partners can, can actually um, in, in, think in their, at, at their career in the same way and facing the, the same responsibilities and chances. I, th I think it depends, right? It depends on who your partner is, whether your partner supports you in this career growth or doesn't, it, or whether they're willing to chip in and be co-parents you know, within the marriage. I think it depends. Um, but I think everybody needs to struggle with their own kind of reality of where, how they balance it, how they balance the career with the, with the caregiving. I had a psychology once, a psychologist that that talked to me, and I, I was um, I was expecting my my daughter, and she said, uh, "Rosemary, no matter what you accomplish in life, the most important role you will ever have is your role as a mother, because you're creating a human being." And I took that to heart. I really took that to heart. So it's great to accomplish a lot of things, but the influencing of the new generation and what you can create and who they become, you have such a great influence as a mother. So it's an important role. Well, yeah, it is important, of course. And, 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 and I know I'm, <laughs> I agree with you and I'm Italian. So I think we come from a different, uh, actually a similar point of view in family. Uh, and yet, you know, is is this something that should be, generally speaking, shared with the other partner, or is the mother who has um, this this kind of bond uh, with the, the, the children? 
that strongest bond compared to the father. What do you think? <laughs> okay, okay, I, 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 I understand. It's not. There is not an answer for this. <laughs> no. Okay. No, no, no. But I, I. Uh, well, and do you think this this is changing? I mean, you have a daughter, and and she's she's a young adult. So, do you think it's changing? Do you think the new generation are changing the approach to to, to this um, to this matter? You know, like, how they they combine, how they balance family and work. You know, I can only speak from what I've been exposed, which is I think that. Um, in my generation, we were a lot more fervent about, about achievement and rising. And, um, and I think that the next generation is more empathetic, uh, is more welcoming. Um, I, I think they're gentler and more conscious of what, what their, the consequences of their actions. Um, and I think that's, it's really beautiful to see that it's not about, I don't know, but it's not about competition. It's, it's more about social networks, I think. I, so I, I think the next generation is different. And we'll see, we'll see soon, I guess. <laughs> we'll see how it is developed. Okay, let's let's stay a little bit on this topic, yeah. But changing, don't worry. We, I'm gonna ask <laughs> again about, you know, but the life, the balance between life, per, your personal life, your family and friends, and work. How do you manage this? Because as I say, you you travel a lot. I mean, you work. You have a uh, a job with a lot of responsibilities. I'm sure your schedule. Actually, I know that your schedule is quite full. It's been hard to find time for this interview. Um, and actually, right now you're not even in, uh, in Washington. You are in uh, in Bolivia, right? So you're traveling. You had to carve out this hour for us. And I thank you again. But how do you manage the balance in, in the, uh, between everything you have to do as a mother, as a as a wife, as a professional, as a friend, and for yourself? Oof, hard. Um, so um, now, now that my daughter is a young adult, um, I can balance a lot better than I did before. Uh, when she was young, it took a lot of, it took a village. It took, it took my family. It took uh, my brother, my sister stepping in, my husband stepping in. It took basically people trying to chip in where they could and me asking for help when I need it. So, yeah, it was really difficult to balance. And I, and I think, unfortunately, uh, work was number one. My daughter was also number one. You know, and then the person who was not on the list was me, right? Um, because I ended up really putting in a lot of work and then also being very intentional about spending quality time with my daughter. Um, do, you think, do you think that putting yourself in a lower priority 
uh, allow you to actually not allow you, but made you lose something about yourself, or would you change something if you could, you know, talk to yourself 16, 18 years ago? Would you change something? Would you tell something to to to, to like? Yeah, I think that if I would go back 16 years or, you know, whatever, however many years, I think that um, I, I would, I don't know how more efficient I would become, but I would definitely put myself like within the top three things rather than at the very end. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I understand that we're touching something upon, uh, like upon some sensitive. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, let's let's change the topic and uh, a little bit. Still talking about leadership, of course. Um, so we earlier we talked about challenges, and you mentioned some some important challenges you faced, especially at the beginning of your career as a geologist and and everything else. Um, well, you know, sometimes despite all your effort, not everything goes right. Actually, something goes can go wrong. So um, I would like to share with us, you know, which was which is the biggest failure that you have uh, achieved, <laughs> and how did you deal with it? How did you deal with it? I think I think the biggest failure is uh, when you aren't. Um fully mature yet right mm. and you approach leadership as an ego thing and um you think you're right um and and then it could create dysfunctionalities in an organization um and, and it comes from lack of empathy and lack lack of vision um that your actions have consequences. So I'll, I'll be honest, I mean, my greatest failure has been when I was in an organization and um, we basically had two camps. It was a pro Rosemary camp and a pro X camp, right? Oh. Um, with very different visions on what, where the organization should go. Um, and, I thought I was right, um, you know, in, in, in the problem is that when you think you're right, you have people that follow you, you know, but you don't understand and you're not empathetic about that fact that you're right doesn't come from your heart. It comes from your own ego right? It comes from your own kind of, you want to be strong, you want to portray an image, you want to, you want to show the world that you're right. So when you come from that perspective, you're not fully open to true leadership, because you're not really listening uh, to the other side, you're not really being empathetic about the situation and then you create dysfunctionalities in an organization. Um, I've been in organizations that are very dysfunctional uh, where one division fights with another division or, you know, it's kind of like 
uh, and it doesn't stem from empathy and coordination and, and, and being able to be one team and, and being able to work together. And I think that there needs to be a level of maturity that you, you obtain through life that then allows you to become a different type of leader. And unfortunately, sometimes that comes with age. Uh, sometimes, you know, when you're when you're in your 20s and your 30s, you think you can conquer the world and you think that you're, you know, you're it, right? Um, and, and then you come to an understanding that maybe that's not the best way to go forward. So what you, you, you were talking about this example, this, this failure where actually there were two camps, as you, as you describe it. How did you deal with that? What, what, you know, when, when I guess you realized probably you were not right. I don't know what happened, but you know, how, what happened and how did so, you deal with the outcome? So like all lessons, lessons come with pain, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> so, so, so like all lessons, I left and then the other person left. Oh. So we, so we both left. And I think that from that leaving of that experience, from leaving the organization, and just leaving the situation, I, I I became a consultant for two years. You know, so it was a very um, radical act from you, the kind huge. of refusal, a total refusal. Yeah, and it's through the pain that you then you reflect on your actions, on what you could have done, on how you could have worked together. So there was a moment in which, like a, a kind of a, a switch, a uh, shift in your in your thinking that you understood that probably you were not right, or probably you could you could have considered this. How did it happen? Like I said, it's through pain. <laughs> okay. No. So when you when you're all of a sudden you change your situation, mm. right? And it and it's reflected in you in where you belong, your sense of self. Um, sometimes our own identity comes from the roles that we have, right? We believe that we are, you know, the vice president of economic growth and governance, right? You believe that your identity is that role, right? But when is that stripped away and you're just your core person, it gives you time to reflect that first you're not that identity, right? And then who are you as a human being? And did you really have to fight those battles? And were they really about what was right for the people, what was right for the organization? Or were they just about you getting your way? Um, and that's very uh, painful, but it's a life lesson that then in the next leadership position, you don't make that mistake again. And I, I love what you say that you are not your work. I know. And, and actually, some people probably they think they are. I mean, or they are so immersed in the work that they don't see anything else. And everything is their career. And that's all they have. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a choice. It's always a choice. It's no one is forcing anyone. I'm not, I'm not criticizing, but it's, it's a, it, this is the right path towards burnout, basically, <laughs> normally this way, where, where you normally go. Um, okay. 
Well, it, and what, what are the values that you have developed in those years, especially since then, since this, this pain that you suffer? So I would say for any leader in the world, it's first work on yourself. You, know, you need to start from you. Um, if you're honest with yourself and you grow yourself as a person and you could look at yourself in the mirror and really who you are, not the role, but who you are as a human being, then you approach the world from a different perspective. So I think that I have emerged as a leader that really wants to allow people to reach their full potential. And I think that I try to remove myself from the situation and empower my people because I think that that's my role now. It might just come with the gray hairs, right? that I'm mature enough to be able to say, you are the next generation. And it's just about empowering to pull full potential. And I wasn't ready to do that when I was 40 or 35, you know? It just, it comes with maturity, but it comes also with first working on you. You need to work on you before you can allow others to shine. Self-awareness. Self-awareness is the first part. This is really the first step for a successful leader. And then there is self-acceptance. And then everything else, right? If you don't know who you are, if you don't accept the person you are with all your weaknesses and strength and your beliefs and values and you know, also biases, you know, you have to understand what are your biases and fight a little bit against them. And well, what are your biggest weakness <laughs> as a leader of course <laughs> i don't know if it's a weakness or a strength and and i think that that's the problem um i, I think i tend to be a workaholic hmm. okay so um, going back going back to the balance between life and work <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not being able to balance um, so I tend to be a workaholic and I also tend to um, surround myself by people that are very hard workers. Um, so I think that it's really great. It's, I, I create teams that achieve a lot, uh, which is really exciting. Uh, but it goes back to the balance, right? It goes. It, it, goes. it goes back to sometimes I die. My husband says, you dive and, and you, you forget to eat, you forget everything, and, and, and you're, you're just lost. I just, you're just not here. Um, so, yeah, that, that, it's a big one. Okay, okay. Is there any commitment that you're doing to yourself to be better at it, or you're accepting it and just go with it? <laughs> This is probably more uh, like a coaching question, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, the, the commitment is that I need to take care of myself. That um, I'm, I'm at a stage in my life where it's important for me to take care of myself. So the commitment is that um, I have dinners with my husband, you know, 
that we have real dinners and that we cook together. You know, it, that's that's progress, right? Oh yeah, um, of course. So, um, so I think that the commitment is there and the effort is there. Um, not quite perfected. No, no, no. I don't think perfection is is for humans. So, <laughs> but you know, the, the, the I what I personally appreciate is actually your your openness, your being truthful and honest, and and actually showing um, a part of yourself that is probably more hidden or in a way okay and you, you talk a lot about empowering people and empowering the, the the team members and people working with you make them better professionals and better human beings how do you do that what is the the, the, the leadership style that you normally use when, when you have people working with you so i'm definitely a very horizontal manager okay uh, in the sense that i am a transparent manager uh, when situations change, I convey that to the team. Um, everybody has a voice. Um, in, in general, um, it's about being able to listen, not, um, not being authoritarian. It's the opposite. It's basically very, very horizontal. Um, and I like that. I like being told but Rosemary, I think you're wrong on that one, you know, uh, because that means that they feel confident to be able to tell me that I'm wrong. And that means I'm doing a good job at listening. Uh, and this feels... Stop, yeah, okay. because if I stop listening, then they'll stop talking, right? Absolutely. And this builds builds a lot of trust and ownership for everyone. You know, it's not just their team members, they are active team members. They are really part of the team. It's not just um, working like a clockwork. It's more like it's, you can change the clockwork. And this is something I explore uh, in um, actually the last episode of this this podcast with uh, uh, an automotive designer, uh, Jason Castriola, who is really into, of course, he works in the creative in a creative environment so it's more like they he has to foster creativity that's um probably a little bit different but not the much right because there is a lot of creativity in your work too yeah there's creativity <laughs> um so, somewhat i would somewhat, say somewhat yeah i mean there are rules of course and there are there are constraints as we, we said earlier <laughs> a lot of politics but still, probably for this reason, you have to find a, a different way to be uh, successful with your team. Right. Okay. So, um, explain me. Let's let's try to uh, get more into the interaction that you have with the people working with you. If you know, you, I'm sure you have meetings with your team, right, on a frequent basis. How do you how do you actually manage the, the um, the meeting. What, what is the techniques that you use during the meeting? What kind of way to empower them, as we mentioned earlier, or to ask questions to them? Do you use normally? Yeah. So I'm I, so I'm going to start with something that you just said a little bit ago. Okay. You, you said the word trust, right? I think trust is one of the most important 
aspects of any business, any organization. Right? And that's true with the team, right? In order for a team to be efficient, to achieve, to reach goals, all the members within the team need to be able to trust each other, right? And, and in order for you to serve your client, in order for you to be part of uh, senior management, there needs to be, in a healthy organization, there needs to be a great deal of trust. So I would say that it, trust comes with your own vulnerability. Yeah. Okay. Being able to expose yourself, your vulnerability to your team members, and for them to then understand that you're being truthful with them. And I think that that level of interaction really creates bonds, right? Like, like it's not that I just trust my team to do their work. It's that if I would be in trouble, I would call my team members, right? It's that, it's that level of trust that you need to develop with them and that you need to develop that kind of trust everywhere in your life. Because as you do that, then that allows you to be able to achieve things. So in my interaction with my team, it's about showing that vulnerability, showing that, you know, whatever issue is happening, not only on my personal front, but not private, private stuff, but, you know, on a personal front, sometimes you come across, you know, issues, you know, and, and you basically say, you know, I'm really having a hard time. You know, I, I, I like, for instance, now I am in Bolivia because my father's going to turn 92 years old. You know, it's a huge thing. And I want to be here. So I, I basically said to my team, this is really important to me. I need to go. And just like, and I know everything's going to be fine in Washington because you guys are there, right? But it's kind of like, I need them and they need me. It's like, it's just a developing that trust, that interact. And I think it has worked beautifully. And I think that that, I recommend that to all leaders, you know, develop trust within your teams. And with it, with that trust, you'll be able to accomplish anything you want to accomplish. Well, first of all, happy birthday to your father. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you, do you turn off your your uh, mobile or are you reachable even when you are in Bolivia for family reasons? Uh, there are times when I turn it off. Okay, okay, fair enough. And <laughs> well, you know, and sometimes you put trust in a person. You normally, for example, I, I tend to do it really at the beginning, you know, it's like, okay, this is my trust for you. And on, once I get to know a little bit, I give you my trust and then we will develop on it and then see how it goes. But what happens if, if a person actually betrays, betrays you and then it's really not so trustful as you thought? I think that comes from uh, your ability to read people. Um, I think that comes from the emotional intelligence part, right? Uh, being able to not be fooled 
<laughs> we we all are fooled at some point, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Don't tell me. Sure. <laughs> so, and, but but I think that learning from that is being able to accept that everybody's doing the best they can given the information in their own capacity. And I think that when you when you come across people who betray you, um, if you come from that angle of oh, that was not what I expected and it's just so bad. Instead of reaching to anger, reaching to the empathetic part of you that basically says, wow, that person's dealing with X issues or Y issues. And maybe I shouldn't take it so personally. Um, so you give another chance. Sometimes. You tend to give. <laughs> <laughs> Well, of oh, course, but, you know. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I, I am very, very picky mm. about how I recruit. Oh, tell me about it then. You know, <laughs> how how do you recruit? You know, I guess you interview people, you have some some uh, discussion. How do, how do you approach it? You know, when you select a person that could work with you? Yeah. So recruiting is is one of the most important things you will ever do as a leader. Um, and I would say that your emotional intelligence needs to be really, really high for you to be able to read people through an interview process and be able to get at the essence of what makes them tick and then be able to um, recruit the right people for your team. Um, so I don't know if you've ever read um, Good to Great. No. Um, so it, it's a book, I guess it came out, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, but it, it basically was saying that the most important thing you do in a company when you build it is to bring the right people on board. Um, and I believe that completely. I've, it's I've easy to say, that. though. <laughs> but of course, everyone tries it. But what, what is that you look at? You know, when, when you I understand what you say about being emotional intelligent, empathetic towards the person. But how? What is that you try to understand from a person in front of you? Um, well, in in my line of work, it's very complex, right? I I need somebody who. Um, I need somebody who's very bright. I need somebody who's very hard worker. I need somebody who's driven by the development, um, purpose of development. I need somebody who is not gonna want to stand out above everybody else. So that, you know, I need somebody that is gonna be able to be a team player. Um, so there's many characteristics that I'm looking for when I recruit and even, Recruitment at the very, very youngest, most junior positions. Um, I, I, I'm involved. So, which maybe tells you a little bit about me, but, <laughs> but, but I think it's the most important thing you will ever do. Well, well, let's let's kind of change perspective now. Let's say that someone is coming, you know, and is going to be interviewed by you. Why should this person be willing to work with you? What do you bring to the play? What, what, what are you going to 
offer other than money <laughs> to this person and great experiences, I'm sure, and the great work that you do. But what, what is that is special about Rosemary as a leader? I think it's the fact that I'm going to approach it from how are you going to grow with me? Hmm. And how am I going to let your assets really shine? Beautiful. And how I'm going to complement your weaknesses with other people so that way your weaknesses don't show up. Beautiful. So Do you, that's yeah, it is. It is. I mean, it's something that I guess most. So if you are listening to this podcast and want to work with uh, Rosemary, you know what you need to have and what to expect from her. <laughs> um, but actually, this is something that um, I guess most of the people would like to hear. You know, it's not just finding a job; it's more like growing and having space to grow and working together and be a better person. It's not just really um, occupying five days per week or even more. It's, it's more much more than that. And I, and I really, um, I really share. I mean, and I like your approach. But this is very personal, of course. And it's not like not everyone would think about the same. Okay. So Rosemary, you have a very long experience in those. Um, I count that 30 years of work experience, pretty much in, in different positions, you know, from uh, and mostly leadership position. So how did leadership change it? Not only for Rosemary, but in more like in a general, uh, in a general way. What, what, what have you noticed in your, in your life? I, I think as you get older, you become gentler. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think that you, um, you become gentler, you become more empathetic. Um, uh, or at least I have, I think. Uh, hmm. So you think uh, like a younger leader is more like strict, more uh, energetic, probably. Uh, more energetic, maybe more, uh, more about the goals to achieve rather than, I don't know. Uh, but, but overall, I'm a very results-oriented person. So um, I think how I achieve those results are very different today than they were 20 years ago. Uh, before, I would say, do you know the expression bull in a china shop? Okay. <laughs> it's kind of like, mm, you just go forward. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, Now it, it's, it's a gentler leadership. It's a more of a listening leadership. Um, it's a, it's a, I don't know. Maybe it's level of security, right? I'm more secure of who I am as a leader. Yeah, I mean, of course. You have, as we say, a long experience. So they make you, and as you said, pain is a great way to understand and to learn. Yeah. It's painful, as the, the word says, but it's, it's a great way to do it. <laughs> And normally it's the best way for, for every each of us. Um, so would you consider yourself a successful leader? Oh boy. <laughs> I know being humble is one other quality that a leader should have. <laughs> but putting the humbleness apart for a second. If so 
Con considering that my father wanted me to be president of Bolivia mm -hmm. when I was young, um, I would say that he wanted me to function in realms that are completely outside my capacity. So um, I think that would be a totally different way of leadership that I'm not equipped to do. But I think that in the work that I do, um, I am happy where I'm going. Okay. In, in the leadership part. Um, but it's not as unknown or as unpredictable or chaotic or it's not like a leadership in like when you lead a political system, right? Or a right. war. So that's a lot more complicated. So I think that um, there's still room to grow. Um, yeah. And I don't know whether, I don't know if I ever will step into a more complicated world. Yeah, well, as we say, you know, perfection doesn't exist. So having room to grow is, is always good. Probably when you think you have reached, and this is a conversation I had in another episode with uh, a guy, actually, he was uh, an officer and became the Minister of Defense. So you can actually say that he was successful in so many ways. But what he expressed well that is more about the journey and there is never the end of the journey. Whenever you reach the end of the journey, you have failed. When you, whenever you think you've reached the end of your journey, you, and that's the moment when you have failed. That's the moment where you think I'm done and you stop thinking and looking for innovation and, and changing things and get better. That's that's yeah. that's that's really the it's not being hyper achiever. It's not really it's not wanting more money. It's really a matter of a position or or um, aspiration. So that's that's uh, that's the beauty of it. And yeah, I I always tell I always say that if you're not growing, you're shrinking. <laughs> if you're not growing, you're shrinking. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the one I think I had to hear, and, and where I'm coming from was often said is, oh, we have always done like this, and it's really okay. That doesn't mean anything. Actually, it's, it's really, un, you cannot say that. It doesn't, doesn't work. And even if we have always, and sometimes you hear it from your boss. You know, you propose something and the boss comes to you and says, oh, well, we have always done like this. Why well, you want to change? <laughs> okay. But let's see, I'm, my Italian way, my hands <laughs> are coming up. Okay, so um, we have time for my last question. And... Uh, I I really want to ask you, I know, that's another question that I always ask to everyone. And it's, so let's say that someone comes to you and say, hey, Rosemary, I want to be a successful leader like you are. What should I do? How should I approach my, my work life? Um, so everybody is either uh, extrovert or introvert, right? And there's different challenges in both. So um, introverts need to become extroverts to be effective leaders. 
extroverts need to calm down and listen to their soul. So it depends on the person that would approach me. Uh, because they're all coming from different places. Um, I would say start with yourself all the time. Start with yourself. What baggage do you have that others are suffering because you're carrying the baggage, right? That's where I would start. Because I don't think you can have a good leader if you haven't done the work on yourself first. Yeah, that's what I would say. And then listen, listen, listen. But if I can add, listen for real, not just hear yeah. sounds, listen. listen. <laughs> Understand what they're saying, how they're saying. If I... yeah. Rosemary, thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for all the words and the experience that you share and your point of view is so enlightening. And um, I have really appreciated your honesty and bravery, you know, showing up your vulnerability part, your vulnerable part. Um, <laughs> and thank you really for finding time for us. Stefano, thank you so much. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. Hello.